Welcome to Tethered, where we have conversations connecting faith and culture. I'm Mark Dean, filling in this week for your host, Bill Falk. And co-hosting with me today is Susan Schultz, along with uh, Oliver Scott. On Tethered, we love sharing the big story of God and the way our individual stories fit into his big story. And we love sharing stories about champions. All good stories have champions. And the story of every champion is also the story of an overcomer. Before he ever played a game in the NBA, Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. And before he ever um, played a game in the NFL, 198 football players were drafted before Tom Brady was ever drafted. You know, David faced his giant Goliath, and Jesus, of course, overcame death. So today, our guest is a champion. She's Angelina Hudson, the interim executive director of the National Alliance on Mental Health and Mental Illness, or as better known, NAMI Greater Houston. Along with her is her associate, Linda Brown. Uh, Angelina is a warrior uh, for the well-being of children. She's for her own children. Uh, she's a parent and she's a champion for all parents and families that are experiencing mental health difficulties. Angelina, thank you for being with us here today. Thank you. On Tethered. Now, I've heard it said that uh, mental illness is a, si a silent epidemic and that pre-COVID that it was considered to be a crisis, but now today it is a disaster. And yet you're a superhero. You go in the middle of these disasters and, uh, and you help to fight mental illness. So how did you become first aware even of mental illness? Well, I came, I became, first of all, let me just say superhero. This is sort of the arena you find yourself working in that you didn't volunteer. Absolutely. Right. Um, so it's just surviving that's made that connotation towards superhero. But the way I found out was because I started living this journey within my, in the context of my mm. own family. Mm -hmm. Right. So I have one child that's diagnosed with a brain disorder and I have two other that are on this, on the spectrum of mental health to mental illness, dealing with their own degree of anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. So give us context. How long ago was that? When did you when did you first discover this? So I've been married for 27 years. We started our family 23 years ago. So for 23 years, the first child presented it at seven months, maybe even before then, because his first neurological atypical behavior. So all mental health conditions are neurological in nature. They're all medical conditions. And so the first inkling that I had that this um, firstborn son of ours was showing some difficulty, he could not suck. He could mm -hmm. not take food from a bottle or mm -hmm. he couldn't nurse. He couldn't. And I was struggling to, to get him to gain weight and that sort of thing. Um, and then it just went from there. There were other difficulties. He didn't talk until he was seven years old. He doesn't have, he didn't have bilateral movement, which meant like he couldn't do things like um, ride a bike or kick left, right, left, right. Mm -hmm. Even though he could run like the wind, he still had a lot of neurological difficulties. And so his first diagnosis was pervasive development disorder because he had strengths in one area. Like mm -hmm. I said, he could run like the wind sideways, mm -hmm. backwards, couldn't mm -hmm. catch him. And then, but then he couldn't do other things and with his mobility and agility, but then it translated to his, um, inability to talk. And then of course, other processing disorders mm -hmm. within the brain, such as auditory executive and olfactory. And, and mm -hmm. mind you, 
when you have a child that young that's experiencing these difficulties, you know, we were going to Texas Children's Hospital. No one said the words mental illness, Mm -hmm. but it was a brain disorder. Mm -hmm. All mental illnesses are brain disorders. All brain disorders are not considered mental illness. But I am living proof that whether you're on the mental illness side or the brain disorder side, you are struggling with many of the same exact issues. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of overlap. Um, Mm -hmm. So when he turned four, uh, that's when you start going to school. And that's when we really met a lot of opposition in terms of placing him with neurotypical children. So what did that look like? Yeah, our society says separate, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So he was not able, even though he was well behaved. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I mean, not with his words, but his behavior. Right. Um, He can ask for help when he needs help. He problem solves. He's very obedient. If he sees you sitting there holding a pen, he's going to hold a pen. He's going to hold his hands just like your Mm -hmm. hands. Mm -hmm. So he was very appropriate in his behavior. Right. But because of his academic distance from the other children and his developmental Mm -hmm. delays, you know, so I asked the question, well, why can't he sit in the general Mm -hmm. ed classroom? And then that's when the, that's when the mm, activity began with my advocacy. So there was some clashing you said? A little bit because most, your greater society doesn't feel like there's room for you Mm. in the, in a general area. Mm-hmm. Even as adult, if you're if you're rolling down the hall on a gurney, you know, you'll find inclusion. But when there's a mental health or behavioral health disorder, I call it an invisible disorder, okay. right? When you have an invisible disability, there's not as much room for inclusion. It just really kind of depends. If you have down syndrome, there's some brain disorders that are just more acceptable, Mm -hmm, right? right. And then between media and cinema, Mm -hmm. there's this idea that if you have a mental health challenge, then you're violent or you're a a threat Mm -hmm. to other people. And that's just most people, especially those living with psychosis, are more afraid of you than then you you should ever be of them right because they're not um they're just not violent yeah. in nature yeah you know of course yeah people with mood disorders or um you know schizophrenia or different diagnosis they could have something that would keep them from being in the in the general society because they have faulty thinking or wrong perceptions or something like that but that's just not the majority mm-hmm. and so we're ill-informed right. as a society right. about who to be afraid of and who mm-hmm. to include. And so very, very early in the game, um, I had to fight for inclusion for this oldest son such that the other two children mm-hmm. didn't want anyone to know about their invisible disability right. because they didn't want to be ostracized the way they saw their brother. Right. So how did you get help? It, it, it wasn't an easy journey, right? No. there's You go to the doctor, you get your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You go to the pharmacy, you pick up your meds, you read all that paperwork. It doesn't tell you anything but what you don't really want to read, mm-hmm. you know, the things that could go wrong. Right. So there was no one to help you figure out how to put your days back together. Mm-hmm. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, it was sort of like, I don't know if you've heard the parable of the fox, the chicken, and the hen. So I didn't know who to take where. Right. You know, so we all stayed together because... I didn't have any place for the one with autism to be, right? And there was no one activity, no one camp or summertime activity or school or program where all three children could benefit. Wow. Right? Yeah, There's yeah. just you're 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 like a 
what is it, a square peg and a round hole, mm-hmm. you don't fit the model of other families. Right. People invite you to birthday parties and all these things at these places, mm-hmm. but you don't know. You have one with anxiety. You, I have the Yahoo that says I can do everything and he can't. And then I have the one with autism with the splintered uh, developmental mm-hmm. skills. So they couldn't all go to anything. Right. So you're feeling an outsider. Very much an outsider. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when you have one that's nonverbal, so we learn, oh, Fort Bend did an amazing job. When when he started school, they told us, y'all have made up your own signs. I never recognized that we had made up our own signs. So when you don't have language in the house that's uniform for everyone, you begin making up your own signs. You make your own language. Yeah, right? you make yeah. your own language. So they sent us to sign language school. Okay. And it was age appropriate for each child and myself. You know, so then you're in church and you're screaming across the church at your kid but you're doing it all in sign you know you so it just made us really stand I always out how to do that right? <laughs> <laughs> well the good news is i was able to get back in the choir yeah. because then i could say take your feet out the chair that's this <laughs> you know without you know and i could i could be across the room yeah. and so i could parent if you will mm-hmm. and not have to sit mm-hmm. with them. Now, the first row was reserved for the deacons or whatever, but I needed them on the first row because mm-hmm. if they're on any other row, they can hide. Yeah. But that first row, I could see them. There you go. And so I had to get special permission for things like that. Mm-hmm. Just so that your whole life is special permission to mm-hmm. go to um, SeaWorld, special permission to. So there were all these things that made me clearly feel like an outsider, even among my own family members. Mm-hmm. And so that's what people in this journey feel mm-hmm. like they feel like um there's not a lot of understanding right and uh, not a lot of acceptance but what's worse you don't have anybody to talk to yeah of course i don't stop talking but but most people yeah. not me um so feel ignored? like they don't um not ignored if if you are heard and seen then you are um rejected not reject but just not understood okay is that a better way not to say understood. It? Yeah, you're just not understood. And I have a whole different respect now for parents of children with physical disabilities. Uh-huh, sure. Because you can see their struggle. Right. You can see their journey. Yeah. But before this, before my own experience, I would for a moment kind of look and go, oh, and try to help as much as I could. Right, right. But the truth is, when I go home, I don't think about that mother again. Uh-huh. Think about it. If you see a mother with a child in a wheelchair and, and the child is held on di- 14 different points, on, you know, on how right, to sit right. in that chair, sure. you will be as helpful and as generous as you can be mm-hmm. right in front of that child right. or in front of that parent. Yeah. But as soon as that elevator door closes or you get in your car and go home, yeah. you never think about that parent right. and child again. Yeah. And that's the way it is right. for us with invisible disabilities. No one's really thinking mm-hmm. about our plight mm-hmm. because they don't have to. Mm-hmm. It is a rejection. Okay. And an isolation yeah. like you have never. And so then let's say take the children out of it, right? You're just sitting with other moms and they're talking about Susie on the honor roll. Uh-huh. And they're talking about their son playing football. Uh-huh. They're talking about, and you have children that can never do those things. Right. So you, and you don't have those those stages of development, like there is no Quincianetta, there is no Sweet 16 mm-hmm. driver's license. I sleep on my keys, so this Yahoo can't get them, you mm-hmm. know. Yes, he can drive, but I don't want him to, you <laughs> right. know. Um, 
or people making plans for college or marriage or grandbabies. Mm-hmm. So I find that through all of these different stages mm-hmm. in life, there's a bit of a, you know, a sense of loss and grief, a sense of loss. And you have to replace it mm-hmm. with something else you can be terribly mm-hmm. proud of, which mm-hmm. which I have found mm-hmm. very useful and mm-hmm. helpful in my world. So what was a breakthrough for you? Four years old. So this had to be 2001. So I remember I was telling you I was justifying with the school. Why can't my son be in general ed? You know, he was in general ed most of the time he was in school mm-hmm. after that. So I went to other schools. The The committee at the school said, well, Miss Hudson, what do you want? And I thought, what a bizarre question. Mm-hmm. Because how long is this district? This is like a hundred year old district, right? Maybe I exact, maybe it's not a hundred, but it's a lot of years. Right. And there's more children than my children mm-hmm. that have these issues. So why is it incumbent on me to figure out what's best? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. And it's still like that today. So that pivots why I'm in the fight that I'm in now mm-hmm. as a provider, because mm-hmm. the tragedy is this is my story of 23 years. Right. It's not an old story. It hadn't it's a brand new story yeah. for yeah. every new parent. Yeah. But they asked me, what do you want? So I started going to the different schools, pretending that I was moving into the neighborhood, asking for a tour of the school, asking to speak to the curriculum and instructor, instruction director, um, whoever that was. Right. Sometimes they gave me the special ed person, whatever. Um, I just want to know what curriculum you use. And then that's when I started. I was just amazed at the lack of academic vigor Mm -hmm. in special education. That was why I fought for regular ed. I wanted the. Why? Why say this person can't learn and you don't even know? Right. You've not even. Yeah. He was coming home messing with my toaster and my washer and my mm-hmm. dryer. Mm-hmm. And I said, what is this? Mm-hmm. So I go to the school and they're teaching him life skills. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. I need you to teach him to read and write. Right. Why isn't he in speech? He can't talk. They said, oh, we don't put kids who don't speak in speech. I said, what in the world? So then I became a strong advocate and right. went to these schools and I met a wonderful teacher, special ed chair, Michael Biasini. Michael and Valerie Biasini are the real heroes All right. because um, he said, you know what you need? I said, tell me. He said, you need NAMI. I said, what's a NAMI? Mm-hmm. He said, it's the National Alliance on Mental Illness and we have classes for parents of children and parents of adults. The age group that finds themselves in this journey is 14 to 24. So your child can be 19, 20, 21. When you think you're done and you're just starting this journey. And so he said, so I'm teaching a class with my wife, Valerie, and you can come to my class. And so he put me on a wait list. He called me Uh and that one, it was 12 weeks. We met one time a week right up the road at Sugar Creek. And it it just changed. And I was terrified because these are people I don't know. Right. Right. So I grabbed my next door neighbor. I said, Paula, you're going with me. Uh She said, "Okay." And so (laughs) we sat through this 12 week class together, found out that she had issues in her family that fit some of these stories. Mm -hmm. And so. In this class of 22 people, everybody had a different reason for being there, but we were all struggling in the same way. Mm -hmm. So you asked me earlier, how did I know that I was in this journey? Well, it's just things you deal with that other parents don't deal with. Mm -hmm. Like how many parents, you know, get a belt and then strap their child to the chair just to eat Mm. or put uh, tape up phone books to the chair Mm -hmm. so they don't walk around with the chair that's belted on them 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's bizarre behavior, mm-hmm. you know. And so I realized other parents weren't going through what I was going through. So then I started looking at the uh, mm-hmm. the doctors to help me figure out. And so they did things like MRIs, PET scans, and they helped me understand that the neurology of my three children is different than typical developing neurology, mm-hmm. right? But here's the problem. Were they sensitive in that delivery? No. Mm. One doctor told me that my children were on the bottom 2% of the population and just to give up all hope. Mm. I didn't want to pay that $15 copay after he said no, that. No, not at all. And I looked around the room and he, and he said, what are you looking for? And I said, I need two things. He said, oh, let me help you. What do you need? I said, my keys and my purse to get away from you. Mm-hmm. And that's where the church mm-hmm. came in. There mm-hmm. was enough church mm-hmm. in me. I don't want to say church. Mm-hmm. There was enough faith in me mm-hmm. to know that what he was saying, that's not the way God operates. Because mm-hmm. he asked me, what did, you, what did you hope for your children? And I gave him about three or four things. He said, throw that out the window. Mm. I said, oh, I mm. don't know where you get out of this profession. I think I wrote a letter about mm-hmm. it and sent it to the medical board. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm a strong letter writer. Mm-hmm. And so, as you know, and so <laughs> anytime I had a problem, I just wrote somebody. I yeah. said, you know what? This is this is too unknown. Mm-hmm. So that's the work now. The work now is to make sure that people know on mm-hmm. both sides of the table that families know where they can get help and mm-hmm. agencies and systems know when they're mm-hmm. wrong. I see, I see something of value as well. The persistence, though, right? When you hear something that you know that they're saying that, hey, there's no hope, really, you know, just throw it away, you know, but you, you persisted. Very you, persistent. You, you kept on for the well-being of your kids. And, and that's an important message for all parents to realize, right? And, right. Because if you stay in the place of um, it's just your fault and you've messed up and it's just over. But I think it's harder to do that with a kid. The tragedy is I see people do that with adults. Uh-huh. Um, so the way I found out that there was a problem, Houston, we have a problem. But the first one was just eating and talking. But the other two, it was much more pervasive. Right. They were perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of <laughs> When the first grade teacher told me there was a problem, I said, no, you're the problem. Where are your credentials? You know, this child is perfect in every way. So it took, I have to admit, I was a bit obnoxious and it took me more time to even accept myself mm-hmm. that um, because her auditory, my oldest daughter's my only daughter, her auditory processing was so impaired that they thought she was either deaf or hard of hearing. Mm-hmm. And I felt guilt then because mm-hmm. I never recognized it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the seventh grade, my son, who had been in every principal's office, who had been suspended, who had been in ISS mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. made perfect 100s on all of his work, mm-hmm. though. He's mm-hmm. incredibly intelligent, IQ very high, but but he doesn't get along with people. Mm-hmm. And so I was always dealing with his behavior, but it was the seventh grade reading specialist that noticed He's struggling to read, even though he was reading on grade level, Mm -hmm. everything else was above grade level. So reading was the problem. And um, he was then tested and diagnosed with a skyoptic processing disorder called the Erlene syndrome. Mm. So all of the letters run off the page. Mm -hmm. They make rivers and waterfalls. And I said, wait a minute. So when he's reading, wow. the letters are moving on the page. Wow. It's a it's a type of dyslexia, but it's not yeah. the same wow. because the letters are moving. And how so do you, how do you read that? Yeah. And then he gets headaches. So he's an auditory learner. Uh-huh. He's not relying yeah. on yeah. a book. He's relying on what he hears other kids say, the yeah. teachers. And then he's just and his strong strongest subject was math because he could conceptualize mm-hmm. math in a mm-hmm. way that that other people cannot. Uh-huh. Well, 
I asked my seventh grader, what is that, 11 years old? I said, why did you, you talk all the time, all the time you talk. Yeah. So why couldn't you tell us you were struggling to see the letters on the page? He said, well, I thought it was something wrong with the books. Hmm. Not knowing it, yeah. And I said, okay, you're too smart for that. <laughs> and he said, uh, I, I said, all books in the whole world? He said, oh, it doesn't happen all the time. So it's only according to the brilliance of the whiteness of the paper. Really? Wow. And it has to be under fluorescent lights. Uh-huh. But most schools have what? Sure. Fluorescent lights. But it wasn't all the time and it wasn't on colored paper. Uh-huh. So there's a remedy for it. He has to wear these very, 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 I can't see through them. Yeah. They're dark lenses. Oh, wow. Or he has to use an overlay. Yeah. And when that happens, because he was taking trumpet and he was doing very, very well, but he didn't have the overlay. Mm-hmm. So then he just started making up his own stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I'm like Miles Davis. I don't play for them. I play for myself. <laughs> that got him put out the band. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, yeah. He, so he has improvisation. Yeah. Now in yeah, trumpet. yeah. But he you know, so he found a strength and a way to redefine himself that didn't. And I have to say. When, when he started having problems with conduct and he wanted to jump off a building, I remember huddling all the children together and I, and I shared with them that they're just developing differently. Mm-hmm. And I said, so no matter what you hear outside the house, we had a special place in the room. It was the top landing of the stairs, right? And it had a balcony, so it was all like our special mm-hmm. place. And I said, so when we come here to meet, mm-hmm. then we can talk about what you've heard. Yeah. If someone said you were slow or dumb or mm-hmm. worthless or whatever, let's bring it here and analyze it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that will be the determining factor. Wow. It will not be what you hear outside. Right. The house. Well, that's good mother and good parenting to be yeah. able to bring it in like that. Well, <laughs> what did you have to overcome? That, that guilt thing was seven years straight. So talk about that a little bit. So I remember looking at other parents, older parents, uh-huh. right? And they'd ha- they would have children with different disabilities and they would be with their adult. And. I would strike up a relationship with them, our friendship, our conversation, and eventually get to my real question, which was always, when do you stop crying? And it's not just crying. It's it's the gut-wrenching, mm. I shoulda, shoulda. I shoulda, I shouldn't have drank that glass of wine in my first trimester. I, I, I shouldn't have, you know, God is punishing me for what I did in my college years. Or I, you know, and I just, no amount, of ch- nothing was getting rid of that guilt for me. Right. And so one day there was an evangelist that, and I would love to hear evangelists speak because I always felt like they were bringing something from some corner of the world <laughs> that I needed to hear. And this was a true statement. Her name was uh, Pastor Jolly from, okay. from Ocho Rios, Jamaica. Okay. And she presented a lesson on it's not about you. I'm like, what do you mean it's not about me? What does that mean? Yeah. She said, it's not about you. It's about him. Uh And she read the first chapter of Ephesians, starting around the fourth verse. And she read each phrase, not each verse. She read each phrase and then gave an interpretation. Uh And it was it was about how God has created the world according to his will, according to his pleasure. He consulted himself. But every time she got through with a phrase, she went through, and it's not about you. Uh-huh. It's not about you. And I thought, oh, so you mean none of this stuff I'm going through right now is about me? It sure is affecting me. Mm-hmm. And then she'd read the next phrase. So it was almost if it was a call and response. She would, she would give her speech, and I would 
debunk it in my head. And then she would go to the next one and it would shore up what I didn't. And it was like, it was as if we were having a conversation, mm-hmm. but I was one of many right. in a sea yeah. of an audience. Wow. And that Ephesians one uh-huh. wow. really set me on the journey of recognizing. So this is, so if I had to interpret that, yeah. what that ended up meaning to me was that I am a child of the king uh-huh. and so are my children, not uh-huh. collectively, but individually. Uh-huh. So if I am a child of God and they are a child of God, then that's their God. And this is their story and it's their journey. Uh-huh. I'm only here for the amount of time that they need to learn how to be civil, how to hold a job, how to wipe their own nose, how to pull up themselves by their own bootstraps. But at some point I will no longer be here. And guess what? God will be their God then just like he's their God now, whether they recognize it or not. It's my job just to, how is it training them up in the way they should go? And when they right. grow old, they should not depart from it. Yeah. So that's just my job. That's my assignment. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But they're not me and I'm not them. Right. And that separation, there's a book, you've heard of them, uh, what to expect when you're expecting, what to expect in their first year. You know, I read all these right. books, right? Sure. And um, in the one about their first year, the author talks about how a baby, after they're born, it's about eight to nine months before they recognize that they're separate from the mother. Mm. They still, a baby still feels that they are one in the same. Tied in there. Yeah, yeah, they're bonding. Right? Yeah. right. So so it takes a while for them to feel, well, it took me, I don't know what year I met Pastor Jolly, but whatever year that was, that was the amount of time that it took for me to realize that those children were my assignment, but my life is not theirs and their life is not mine. Mm-hmm. And they were created by someone separate mm-hmm. and they have a whole, they have a journey, a mission, assignment. Mm-hmm. They have a life that's separate uh-huh. from mine. Mm-hmm. And it took me that many years. And once I got it, I stopped crying. Yeah. Wow. That's the answer. So you stop crying and you stop feeling guilty once you can recognize mm-hmm. that they're not you're not one with them. Uh-huh. They're separate from uh-huh. you. And they have their own journey. But you still care for them. Oh, absolutely. But what I took the responsibility of who they are and how they were created yeah. and what they're supposed to be off of me. Sure. Then that helped me breathe yeah. again. Yeah. It was almost as if I was suffocating. Yeah. But once I got that part, I'm good. So it sounds to me like when the Bible was read, that it was a reset in the way you framed looking at your children in your life. Always a reframe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you were surrounded with the stigmas of your children do this and what to expect when, you know, first grade reading, all those expectations, when those readings of what's his will, what's his pleasure, each of those pieces, you were able to redefine what perfect was for your children, for yourself, mm-hmm. and then, you know, perfect in God's eyes. Mm. And um, you created your own self-values, as you had said, but they're God's values and you're for your little family. Then you were able to, once you define that, now you're in that provider role to push your kids out to be the best they can be with what that is that um what god's will is for each one for them mm-hmm. to be you know that little treasure that you know that they are mm-hmm. and yeah. not define it within the framework or context of what you know we say is valuable in the u.s and i say u.s and not the world because wow I, you know, with the pandemic and studying what's happening in, all over the world with the pandemic, I'm beginning to get familiar with other 
cultures where what we define as successful is so far and separated from what other people see. So, yeah, I was able to reframe, reset, and really relieve. But that was a gift from God as mm-hmm. well, right? Absolutely. Because it was him to deliver, and it was just the time yeah, that I yeah, needed to hear yeah. it. And, uh, and so every time I see her now, because I see her in other places, I'm like, wow, that was the one thing that uh, – that I was able to hear. And it's timing too. Yes. You have to be ready to hear right. certain things. And I think when we talked about education in that panel discussion, that that's the key, but education is information and we can be informed anywhere if we're open to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So education, yes, but I don't think that's like taking one class from NAMI is not the silver bullet. Right. Matter of fact, I took it several times and now I teach the class because different delivery and different uh, participants in the room, I'll pick up different bits and pieces of information that keeps me informed, um, especially as the children are, my adult children now get older. But we can be informed from the woman in the grocery store. We can be informed with our interactions with people in universities and businesses. And everywhere I go speak, people thank me. And I'm like, no, thank you. Because I get as much from you as you perceive that you get mm-hmm. from me mm-hmm. because it's all informing me, right, as I continue on this journey. So where did you move from being a mom to your children then to your concern for other families that are going and have a similar journey to yours? So that's a bizarre story. So I um, moved back to Houston, and this is, again, 20 something years ago. And I um, wanted to go into U of H law school Mm. and I had like a 2.8 GPA. So I said, well, I need at least a 3.8 from my last institution, right. To compete with these. So I got a master's degree. And during that master's program, I got married and had these two kids. Mm -hmm. So the second one was the one that threw me into this life of Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. Right. And so I look up the kids now, the baby's graduating from high school and I scratch my head and I'm thinking, what was I doing 20 years ago? So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go get this law degree. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, I am so different. What? Wow. What has happened with me, with them has so changed the trajectory of who I think I am, and what my purpose is. Yeah. So I don't know if I mentioned my parents were the education parents. Yeah. Okay. And they wanted their children to either be a lawyer uh-huh. or a doctor, uh-huh. maybe a nurse, maybe, uh-huh. maybe a nurse. Yeah. But, but, you know, and so I, I'm like, but that's, those are no longer my values. Right. Those are no longer my values. So, um, during this journey, I started working for NAMI Gritty Houston and really made a strong decision maybe two years ago. <laughs> okay, I hope NAMI's not listening to this. Made a strong <laughs> decision two years ago to dig deeper mm-hmm. and really stick with this organization, work with partnership development. Uh-huh. So two years ago, I became VP of Partnerships and Programs and now the Interim Executive Director. And my entire focus now is to search and find families like your family. It doesn't matter. You can be in this journey for a year, five years, 10 years. And journey, I mean, caring for someone living with a mental illness. But until you get to the place where you are um, 
And I don't know, educated doesn't seem like enough, a big enough word right. where you can begin your healing, yeah. where, where it becomes yeah. restorative, yeah. where you don't see your journey as a curse, but a blessing. Yeah. When you get to a place that you know that you're on the right assignment and you wouldn't have it any other way yeah. until you can get into that zone, you don't begin healing and you don't begin right. deliverance for yourself. Yeah. And so seeing that happen in other families yeah. is now when I'm. It's That's, a blessing for you as well, right? In in doing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's the purpose. Yeah. There's no other reason I would have gone through this for 20 something years, if not to turn around and share that healing and hope with someone else. Yeah. I love the word that I would use to describe what you're talking about is redemptive. Redemption. You, you take the very worst that you can imagine. You look at that and you see this is, I can't imagine things being worse, but then I coming from a from a perspective Christian perspective, see that's what God does. He goes into those very worst of the situations that we are in, and He brings goodness out of those, and and that is the the joy that we see. I love the words that I've just gone blank now, but it was um, my people, right? Uh, I'll find talk, your people. You know, yeah, find, find your people, your people. of how you identify yes. Uh, yes. with that. Yes. Uh, well, and that's the part where you can't talk to your friends because they don't understand for me it was worse than friends my my parents i grew up people say you're from houston i'm like no nah, i'm just from a house it used my dad was very protective right and uh so my family's very very close-knit <laughs> close-knit i don't know about close but close-knit for sure <laughs> and so uh and so what happened to me and this uh, this goes all the way back to when he was first diagnosed uh, in a room with a Van Gogh hanging on the wall. Um, <laughs> my parents wouldn't talk about it. So I would say, here, watch these these two children. I've got to go to Texas Children. But we never said why. And when I came home, they didn't want to hear about it. And I learned through NAMI that there are predictable emotional stages to, um, to tr response to trauma. And they were responding to it, the trauma of their own. Mm -hmm. Because for the first time, my parents, which are my heroes, mm -hmm. especially my dad, right? Because he tells me he's my hero all the time. <laughs> my mom is too. <laughs> but uh, uh, but they, uh, they couldn't fix this. Yeah. They couldn't fix this. And that was a tragedy. Yeah. My dad is now 92 years old. And um, it has taken all of this time and his own battle with dementia uh -huh. for him to realize. Because it's a battle. Because some days he's clear as a bear, right. right? But he's recognizing the value of the son that, that has the diagnosis of autism. Because that is the person he realized more on nonverbal communication that even though he can talk now, mm -hmm. he relies more on nonverbal communication. So there are things he hears communicated from my dad mm. that no one else hears. Mm -hmm. So mm. he's staying with my mom all day, every day, and he's able to assist my dad in ways that frustrates him with my mom because my mom doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. But my autistic son does. And it's just a beautiful relationship between the two. Mm -hmm. And now that's his saving grace. That's his right hand. And, you know, he can't walk like he needs to. He can't even mm -hmm. use his arms like he needs to. But my son is there, strong, robust, 23 years mm -hmm. old, and he's able to support him. So I say find your people because sometimes your biological family just can't be there for you. They love you. Mm -hmm. They'll write you a check even. Mm. But they can't fix it. They can't solve it. and um, I remember one time my mom said to me, and this was the most beautiful thing she ever said. Um, she said, you may wonder why I don't have a lot to advise you. 
She says, because I don't know. Yeah. I love that. Right, absolutely. That was the most relief I ever had yeah. in my whole life. Because a lot of people will talk and they don't know, but they're running their mouth. Yeah, they'll and give then, you advice, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And, and it sounds like judgment. It feels right. like judgment. Yeah. And yeah. then some people will not talk to you and disappear and you never know why they disappeared. Right. Yeah. But she stayed right there and said, I don't say as much as your dad, you know. Yeah. But I don't I don't really know what yeah. so she says, so I'm just gonna relieve you in the ways I can. Yeah. You know, and, and what you said, what a beautiful, honest a beautiful uh, moment uh, to be able to share together of realizing that. And I think there's so many things that we cannot fix, right? And just yes. to be aware of that and to move on. I, I've heard you at times talk about 12, but in, in your in your circle around you, <laughs> uh, explain that. You know what I'm talking about. Explain, explain what, what you need people, in your... Yeah. I tell people, I, I love NAMI because NAMI is a clearinghouse. You come into our organization and we don't tell you what to do, mm -hmm. but we'll set up all the different providers that are available to you. We'll set up all the different treatment options that people might come up with. There's an entire class in Family to Family that just talks about NSSRIs and the different medications that can be diagnosed without ever saying this is the medication for you or you need to do that. I just so adore that about mm -hmm. NAMI because it helps you look at your entire problem from all of these different vantage points, but they do not fix it. Mm -hmm. NAMI does right. not fix it. NAMI only says you can do this and we're going to walk the journey. with right. you. Those are the two things we say. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, way back when I said, okay, I can do this. So they say, mm -hmm. um, I just need to find my people and I need to find the resources. And so then I found one person that cared, mm -hmm. <laughs> this guy named Glenn Elder. Mm -hmm. And he goes, if we want to keep your kid for a week, I'm like, oh, we don't do that as a people. No, mm -hmm. no, no. He says, no, really, we can do this for you. And I'm sitting across the table. I'm on the phone. I'm sitting across the table working with this Gary Eagleton again. And he says, let him go. And I'm like. Talking about we, your son, your yeah, child. Yeah, let your yeah, son go yeah. to this camp. And I'm like, we don't do that. We don't do camps. And he's <laughs> like, he goes, let him go. So with his confidence, I let him go. Didn't realize I needed a break. Right, of course. I needed restoration. Yeah. And then now in these latter years, they give you a Bible study to do while your kid is gone. It's uh -huh. really such a beautiful thing. But I, I look forward to it every year. It's like five days, but the best five days of my life. And because... And what Everyone is this camp? looks forward. What's, what's it called? It's called Camp Blessing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a camp for people with disabilities. And I must admit, the first year that my son went, they said, what is your son's disability? And I said, autism. And he's our pervasive development mm -hmm. disorder, I think it was at the time. And he said, well, we don't have anyone else like that. He said, but we'll try. And if we get into trouble, we'll call you. Well, I was, he didn't have a chance to call me. I was calling him four <laughs> times a day. I remember when... I picked him up that that first year. He, he was a little sad. He didn't protest, but he was sad that he was leaving mm. because he felt included in it. It was all wow. about him wow. and these other kids. Yeah. And so I knew we were going to be back every year. I, I knew from wow. that point forward. But they now have a camp called Blessed and Beyond. But the point, the thing that, that Glenn and Laura Elder did for me was they demonstrated to me that people care. Mm. You think you're sitting at home mm -hmm. and the world is just moving and nobody cares about your kids with disabilities, mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, no, people do care. And it was a lot of people there. So it was a lot of people that care. Mm -hmm. And so then I started going to conferences. Um, the next angel of God that I found, her name is Pam Esser. 
And Pam Esser uh, has a nonprofit that she runs. She's the executive director called ADA-SR. It's Attention Deficit Disorder Association for the South Region. And they focus on families living with um, ADHD. And at the time, because, you know, your kids don't start off with a diagnosis of bipolar and depression and ODD and stuff. Every kid pretty much starts off with ADHD Mm -hmm. because ADHD has so many symptoms that overlap with other diagnoses. And those other diagnoses don't become more material and more cognizant until that child begins to grow. And then you start seeing definite signs more about OCD or more about, you know, and then you can get more specific in your, your diagnosis. So a lot of kids start off either with ADHD or or other health impaired, which wow. is a label for okay. special ed, because they don't really know right. what the kid has. Yeah. So both of my kids started off in that ADHD world, and um, and anxiety is a big part of that mm-hmm. because it creates behavior. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the thing about it. When you have a mental health condition, the only thing that's going to let you know that mm-hmm. is their behavior. The behavior. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's not like they have their left arm droops or right. you know yeah. it's not like there's a physical sign right or and then, test uh, or yeah. test right and so behavior yeah. especially when it's odd peculiar or unwanted uh-huh. it's the parents fault uh-huh. you're not raising this kid right, right. you need to teach right. him how to do this and so there's a lot of guilt in there and that stigma that, that you don't that. know yeah. i remember the school would say Miss Hudson, you're gonna have to address this because this boy right here, he talks to me like he's 40 years old. He he's just four years old or whatever. Yeah. My youngest one. Yeah. I remember the counselor say, he talks to me like he's my age. And that's just the way he that's yeah. the way his processes like, he right? works, yeah. you know. And uh, and it wasn't always disrespectful. It could be if he, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't. Yeah. I would I would ask, I would say, now, okay, so you're angry, but what did he really say? What did he say? Yeah. Well, he told me that I really shouldn't be in the profession of teaching Hmm. because and then he gave a very Mm -hmm. well thought out (laughs) reasons why. And he he says, and I beg your pardon. I mean, he's very polite. Now he (laughs) sets it up. (laughs) And I said, so now tell me why you're angry. You know, and I understood. Sure. I said, but here's what you're going to have to do, especially if he's in math. Mm. I said, you know, because she had not long got out of college. Mm -hmm. right? He was in this technology and math institute for the gifted and talented okay i said um bring your college books just bring whatever mm. you got and sure enough that that did the trick wow. so he didn't want free free time he needed meant, a challenge he was right? gonna go bug yeah. somebody yeah yeah he needed a challenge yeah. right and he needs to know that you know more than him uh-huh you were in you were dealing with him emotionally and that turned that Okay, so he's going to go there, but you're not going to like yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, And I'm not justifying. I'm just saying yeah, I yeah. know how he ticks or yeah, how he works. Yeah. And so um, I, I had to find people that, that just care. And everywhere I went, whether it was a church, I cannot tell you how many churches we went to. Lakewood, yeah. oh, my goodness. I took them one year to Lakewood for the summer, and Lakewood asked me for their IEPs. Let me tell you what that means okay. to someone like us. Okay, That means all three of my children found a place they belonged and nobody was with me in church. Wow. Oh, wow. I can wear heels. I can, you don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, matter of fact, that they understood. first, yeah, the, the first time that I could go to church with no children, I actually just went in the lobby and spun around. They thought I had the Holy Ghost or something because <laughs> I was so, You're you know free. how Mary Tyler Moore, yeah. Moore was yeah. spinning around in the middle of the plaza? I did that in you the lobby. You tossed your hat. 
I, I didn't have a hat, but okay. had I known they were going to take all three, I would have worn my hat. You know, I've had my hat snatched, snatched off in church. You can't chase them like you need to. When you got on heels, you can't, you know, you can't. So, yeah. So I went wow. there that summer because my my son got to play the guitar on the stage with the people. And the one with the IEP got to go to the butterfly room. And my daughter got to go and be a little girl with all the other girls. Yeah. And there was a uh, place for all yeah, of them, yeah. you know. And so we would go to... Um, what is that? Young Life. Okay. We would find different Young Life yeah. clubs for them to participate in. Kim May. So some of the things that I, the 14, you asked me, I'm going to go back to the question. Oh, it's 14. It's not 12. Well, at that time it was 14. Now it's 12. Okay. But the, the 12 organizations that helped me stand before any audience and talk are all of these agencies that serve whatever age my child is at the time. Right. That can be, uh, what is it called? Uh, the Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts, okay. Uh-huh. The Boy Susan Scouts. Know that. Yeah. The Boy <laughs> Scouts. Say that, I, actually but I, became a, I actually became a committee chairman. Yeah. Yeah. Over here in um, Commonwealth. Okay. Commonwealth was one of the most accepting because they had access to a troop for people, for kids with special needs. Wow. Yeah. And so it was very inclusive. You know, we did camping at the Houston Zoo. Um, Camp Blessing, of course, was a big part of that. The ADHD group. Uh, then there's another group called SARDA, S-A-R-D-A-A, and it's for schizophrenia and related disorders. Well, there's such a parallel between, I don't know if I'm getting in trouble saying, this is an Angelina opinion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But there's a parallel between families living with schizophrenia and families living with my version of autism. Okay. Because autism on two people doesn't look the same. Sure. Right? But my son so hyper-focuses on one thing. Mm -hmm. If he can find someone else that hyper-focuses on the same thing, boom, he's got a friend. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so... Uh, all of these groups exist in Houston. You have DBSA, which is now called Remind for Depression and Bipolar Disorder. There's this Houston OCD program that has free support groups, inpatient and outpatient. Well, inpatient, of course, you have to have insurance or sliding scale. But anyway, there's all of these agencies mm -hmm. that give me a piece of what I need to face the world. They validate my experience. They give me resources and services for my kids. And they, they build a stronger family for mm -hmm. me such that I can work full time mm -hmm. and speak before others. Right now, my dad is a veteran. And I said to my mom, because the pandemic has closed us up where she's isolated. I said, I think VA should have something for spouses, right. you know, to help you. Right. And uh, I called and I, I work with them, but I never call them as a client. Yeah. 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 And I called and sure enough, they had Good. a program yeah. for spouses of veteran um, of veterans with uh, dementia. Mm -hmm. And so now she has her people. Yeah. So that's. That's what I, it's I talk about. It's gathering a group it. of people that, that support you along the way. That's important. To and do. give you information that yeah. is hard to find. It's only hard to find because you don't know where to look. Right. Well, our time is drawn to a close and we could talk forever. I know that. Just final words on, on hope that you would give to uh, families that are out there that are just struggling. Well, the name of your show is Untethered, right? And the only thing that tethers us is lack of knowledge. The scripture says my people perish for a lack of knowledge, mm -hmm. right? And I think the overcoming is finding the people that have that knowledge to share with you. It, it was not easy. I think that um, 
it, it could be easier if your primary care providers or that psychiatrist or clinician or therapist would share mm-hmm. a list of all the people that care about you. But you have to understand the other side. When you are overwhelmed, when you are in deep sorrow, right. when you're, you're, you're blaming yourself, crying every day, mm-hmm. it's hard to read a long list. It's better when you can identify with someone that looks like you, who's experiencing a similar issue. That's why the churches, it's, that's where I'm headed next. The churches, is, mm-hmm. like Dr. Stanford said, mm-hmm. it's the number one place mm-hmm. people go mm-hmm. when they are facing some sort of mental health challenge. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people see it as a spiritual problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like he said, everything, this bottle of water is spiritual. If you get me mm-hmm. talking long oh, enough, yeah. I'll tell yeah. you how. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not den- I'm not denouncing no, the fact that you. it's spiritual. <laughs> it's just that it's just that God has given us people here with knowledge, right? Yeah. Yeah. To overcome, to be untethered, to reframe our values, to find our people. And I think the more we speak out, the more we talk, the more we have opportunities like this to share. If one person today hears this, mm-hmm. And they say, you know what? I'm going to look up and find my people. Mm-hmm. Then it's we've done it. our work. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do they find NAMI? Oh, well, the website, namigradyhouston.org. That's the first place to start. But, you know, Facebook is quicker because there's somebody always answering the little Facebook thing. Um, I read them, but I don't answer. I, I read the answers uh-huh. to them. But uh-huh. um, so Facebook also has a NAMI Grady Houston page. And you can just say what's going on and someone's going to call you back because we have a warm line. So let's say you're not a family member and it's you. Yeah. Call the warm line. That's Good. 713-970-4483. And a person with lived experience is going to answer the phone. Oh, wow. Good. And, and help guide you through. Excellent. Thank you, Angelina. Thank Linda, you. any final words? You know, one thing that I want to hear, like maybe this is page two, but as your children saw you go through the journey, and how hard you worked. They know what you've learned, what you've experienced, how you reframed, how you took them on your landing at your house and said, here's the safe place to talk. As they saw you grow, how did did you see them grow? (laughs) Did it inspire you because of what you were doing and you were reframing? Um, How did that affect them? What I'm noticing now to my chagrin, they are fiercely independent they are um they do not want to always come to mama Mm. and they have found their people whether i like their people or not and they've learned how to translate those skills of rebound and resilience and self-love in their own world and you know if with this pandemic if i wasn't here tomorrow they'd be just fine and i can't ask for anything more than that and that's so hopeful. Wonderful it? success. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Susan, you have anything? Final words? Just um, how it's changed you from where you thought your life was going to to where it, it it's now headed. Yeah, I always thought I'd put those children in daycare somewhere and just keep going. Right. The best part is I know now that I never could have done this on my own. Mm-hmm. We are not... People were created to be wired and connected to each other. Mm-hmm. And I, I I was full of self. Oh, coming out of college? Oh, you couldn't tell me anything. And I just, I, I, and I did this on my own and I was self-made and self, you know, pulled myself up and God had another plan for me. 
And so I'm humbled by it and it was needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was needed. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. And you are beaming. I can't imagine the, the countenance 25 years ago oh, or whatever, what, the difference the now, but it just shows. So letting people know uh, that uh, you're not alone, that there is help and there is hope. And to just be sure to reach out for that very, very much. So, well, thank you, Angelina, for thank sharing you. your story you. uh, with us today. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom and give you peace. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.